Welcome to Capability Amplifier, the show for business owners and entrepreneurs who want high-performance upgrades for their brains, bodies, and bank accounts. Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and this is the next episode of Capability Amplifier with someone I admire immensely, and I thoroughly enjoy discussing a wide variety of topics with Mike Koenigs and Mike, we started on a good one in the last episode, and it had so much juice for us, and we got responses to it, uh, and it's about branding and packaging. And, you know, people have asked, well, you guys produce, you know, many, many different kinds of knowledge products and intellectual tools that people use for learning and for to help their thinking and focusing and everything else. What's kind of the process that you go about doing this? So I've been doing this one way or another probably since the 1960s. And you, being of a much younger generation, have been doing it as long as you can. Yeah, more than 30 years now. So, How do you actually think about it, Mike? Because I find that the crucial thing is not so much in the doing, it's actually in the thinking. Yeah, and I think, as usual, one of our outcomes and goals for every episode of this podcast is to give our listeners a matrix-style cartridge upgrade for their brains so they can model how to think mm-hmm. and get the same outcomes without putting in the decades that we have, the tens of thousands of hours instead of the couple thousand. So a friend of mine recently said something to me that really profoundly affected me. His name is Stuart Emery. He's 78 years old. He's gone through many, many mm-hmm. reinventions. Mm-hmm. Fascinating guy, really fascinating. He said, I have been fortunate enough to follow my curiosities my entire professional life and monetize a fair number of them. So my answer from a very capitalistic and I would say predominantly libertarian point of view, although I'm not a voting anything, is I approach everything, first of all, through curiosity first, so that level of interest. And then I ask, is this something that the market is interested in? And I also, this is just for me personally, because historically my brands, my businesses have largely revolved around my own capabilities and interests. They started there first. I had to be interested and fired up and feel inspired and motivated to actually do something. I would market test it. Mm -hmm. So the short answer is it starts with a curiosity and an interest. I also pay very, very close attention to upcoming trends. And my curiosities and interests usually are involved in something a little bit before it even enters the mainstream conversation. Mm -hmm. And then I think about how can I amplify, multiply, and automate this thing? And would I genuinely find the buyers, the customers, interesting people and people I'd actually want to do business with? Yeah. So that to me is really important. I think it just comes down to you know, values and integrity, I guess. It's being congruent. So that's the selfish side of it. But then from there, it's a matter of testing out the idea. So for example, I'll give you a a little example of something that we just recently did. My wife and I, at the beginning of the year, we decided we're going to do something we call them super being dinners, where we invite really fascinating, interesting, interested people to our home, bring in a caterer, and just create a great party, Mm -hmm. a nice night and start a conversation. 
And we call these super being dinners because it's all about elevating the guests and creating conversations that they don't have anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So we just started this conversation and people loved it. Mm -hmm. We just had our first one last night as of the Mm -hmm. time we're doing this. And I had no intention other than to test out some ideas that I have and the types of people who are in the room are the kind of people that I want to build a new thing for. Yes. It tested out really, really Mm -hmm. well. And this, in a couple of days, I'm speaking at an event and I'm testing it out further. It's just a way to see what the reaction and response is and the perception of value. In other words, if I could have the promise of the conversation, this is something I would invest in. And I've been consistently finding the answers, yes, and I'm constantly tweaking that Mm -hmm. messaging along the way. So that's at least just to start the conversation. It really comes down to how do you create some messaging and an experience and a feeling that people have so they wind up raising their hands and going, yeah, I'd like a little bit of that. Otherwise, it really came down to in the past, I'd have a big problem I was trying to solve. I figured out a way to mechanically do it with, with software and automation. And then I would start a conversation with someone. I'm going to stop for a moment, just let you comment. And if you want, I'll tell you one of my favorite innovation stories that I haven't even thought about in probably 10 years mm-hmm. that became probably the most profitable product and business I ever made. Yeah. Well, I like talking, you know, I'm a natural talker. And I was lucky in early in life because I'm the fifth child of two fifth children. So I'm a fifth child and my mom is a fifth child and my father's a fifth child. And fifth child are like only children with no responsibility. Yeah, by that time, they're over it. They let them out with the wild animals. Your parents are on on (laughs) autopilot by the time they get to number five and they kind of say, you know, breakfast is at this time, lunch is at this time. Dinner is at this time, and when you're 18, you're supposed to get out of here. You know, so that was my parental direction, but <laughs> they were of like-minded because they had that experience. But the big thing was I had a big age group both ways, so I had four older siblings, and I had two younger siblings, and big age gay, so that for the first six years of my life, I had no peers. I never played with another child until I got to six years old. So I had learned very, very early how to interact with adults, and I got onto questions. I don't know why, but I twigged to questions that you didn't have to know anything to ask a good question. And I also learned that adults are charmed by children who ask them questions. It's catnip for adults, I have to tell you. A child who asks questions, especially when the child asks the adult about their experiences. You know, I was born just before the Normandy invasion in 1944. So these were big world times, you know, when I grew up. By the time I was six, you know, you had people coming back from the Second World War. So I got onto a simple trick, and I'm telling you this because what I'm doing at 75 is a direct relationship of what I knew how to do at five years old. And that is I could ask a question that could get a person to actually think about their experience in a way they had never thought about their experience before. And they would talk about it and I could ask them questions about the thing that they were thinking about and I could keep them going for an hour, I could keep them going for two hours. For example, I had a 78-year-old woman who lived in the farm next to us who had never spent a night 
not in the house that she lived in. She had lived 78 years in the same, and she had been born in 1873. And one day I asked her a question. I says, when you were my age, did you know someone your age? Wow. And the answer was? She said she hadn't talked to him, but he was born in 1798. So, And I found that intriguing because this was like 1950, 1951. And here I was having a conversation with someone who had actually been in the presence of someone who had been alive in the 18th century. And it just struck me how far you could go just by asking people questions about their experience, that you had access to their experience. Okay, and this has been my passion all my life is just to ask questions where people tell me about experiences, but they've actually never described it before in their life, even though they had the experience. So they're literally, in many ways, creating the experience on the spot. And it just struck me what a question could do. And then it took me bankruptcies and scraping for 30 or 40 years to figure out how you could actually do this as a business model. So all my branding is actually in the form of questions. You know, Mike, you've been associated with Coach and Ron. When you come in, it's just nonstop morning till night questions where I'm getting you to think about your thinking in ways that you're coming up with entirely new insights. And I don't have to know what it is, but if I do a good job, you're delighted that you've actually thought about your thinking in this new way. And that's my entire brand and that's my entire packaging. And then I found that entrepreneurs who can write big checks are by far my favorite people to write questions because the moment that they think new, it creates a new economic possibility for them in their life. So that's my approach. And then I've learned how to put this in book form. I've learned how to put it in podcast form. I've learned how to put it on video form. But the forms themselves are not important. It's just then you find if you've got this ability, then how do you get it to the right people? So that's kind of my approach to branding, that it isn't about me. It's actually about what's going on in the mind of someone else that I can trigger with a skill that I have and that it's all about asking better and better questions of better and better people. And I think we share that, what we're both doing right now. So I just had a realization as I was listening to you, and what you've really described is the perfect model for coaching, consulting, advising. And what I've been doing with my advisory clients is I always have them fill out a form, and I ask a lot of questions related to, you know, history, resources, experience. And ultimately, my goal is to get them to share what their idealized life mm -hmm. would be like, right? Mm -hmm. So in your language patterns, you know, you talk about the four freedoms of time, money, relationship, and, relationship purpose. and purpose, right? And that, of course, there's variations of that theme, you know, as I've grown with you, it's fascinating. You and I think very similarly, but we, we've used different vocabularies. But also, when you design a business, you design a product, it really comes down to creating an intimate, trusting conversation mm -hmm. and knowing how to create an emotional connection with that vision, that dream. Again, as I like to say, courage, confidence, clarity, mm -hmm. and also, 
intimacy mm -hmm. enters into that, that intimate connection. And really what you were doing as a very young boy and clearly whatever kind of happy brain chemicals that created <laughs> to create a behavior that you've had all your life was present. And some of that could have been control and significance. You know, you got all your needs met, your human needs. Yeah. So that's super fascinating. And like you say, even though it was all about them, it still was about you. And that is what's beautiful to me about entrepreneurship yes. is it's such a beautiful, selfish, creative experiment we get to participate in yeah. and get rewarded for over and over again. Yeah, well, you know, it's very interesting, the word capitalism. And there's a writer by the name of Hayek, who is a Nobel Prize winner, originally from Vienna. He said, you know, it's unfortunate about capitalism because it was named by its enemies. You know, he said there never was such a word capitalism until Marx came along. You know, and he, he was an enemy of capitalism and he named it. And then it became, for some people, kind of a scary, dirty word. But he says, when you really think about capitalism, he says, actually not about capital. Capital is a byproduct that gets thrown off from a more fundamental activity. And he says, what capitalism is as an ever-expanding system of increased cooperation among strangers. And he says, everywhere in the world, you can only transact with friends or family because you can't trust anyone. But capitalism, you know, you can look something up online in La Jolla and you can see something you want off a little island in Maine or in the south of France. And you can put through a transaction where you purchase it without actually going over and seeing it or actually meeting the buyer. And in the capitalist system, there's all sorts of supports which make sure that you don't get cheated on that. So it's an ever-expanding system of increased cooperation among strangers. But I would say at the key of it is conversation. You're able to ask questions and everything else. So I think you and I, as we have progressed in experience, we've actually gone back more and more to what the center is of all creativity, which is conversation, the center of all economic growth, which is conversation, and conversing with the right people who are the most cooperative co-creators, co-builders. I think we kind of went out and looped and got a lot of experience, and each of the experience took us right back to something we kind of had nailed right at the beginning. But until we had testing experience, and you say about the testing, and I've just said that I have an idea, I think is a really good idea, but until I've tested it with someone, say, you know, I think I have something that might be very valuable to you, but I said, I have to ask you what it is in your life that you're actually after. So I don't know whether this would be valuable to you or not, but can I just ask you some questions? You know, if it was three years from today and you're looking back over three years, what has to happen in your life, both personally and professionally, to feel happy with your progress? Well, I don't know any of the answers, you know. But the person themselves doesn't know the answers until they've been asked the question. Yes. So this is a perfect segue because I'm going to frame this for you and tell you a story that I didn't know how much at the time I was learning from the experience until a little bit later and how it wound up creating a business that generated probably $40 million, maybe even more over the course of time. So here's the backstory. And I think it'll be a great seed for how we get inspired and actually get to the point of creating 
for that audience. So the way it worked was in my early days, I learned how to hack computers. Mm. That was one of the things I did. And that skill set turned into, and hacking to me just means finding shortcuts by breaking rules and still staying within ethical boundaries. Mm -hmm. What I figured out how to do fairly early was how to hack search engines to get search engine traffic. And I had some software that could produce thousands of pages of content. And then I also figured out how to use video to get lots of attention and wound up prototyping a product that became this program called Traffic Geyser, which automated the process of distributing content to get search engine traffic. I remember I was talking to someone that I had met and I had just gotten off the phone with someone else and I told them about this and this guy said, holy cow, and it was just at that point a prototype. I was testing it out, I made it for me and I was using it for client activities. So it was a tool that had created and I could charge an extra $5,000 a month for what I was doing and it saved me a fortune because I had four people doing what this thing did manually. This replaced four people and did all their work in 20 minutes. And this guy offered me $5,000 a month to gain access to this thing. <laughs> I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. So then I talked to the next guy and I told him pretty much the same story about what I had built and what was going on. I showed him some evidence and proof that it was working. And he said, stop right there. And he says, what do you want for it? And I said, well, I was just talking to so-and-so and this guy knew him and he considered him a competitor. <laughs> and he said, look, I'll tell you what I'll do. And he offered me $5,000 a month for it. And he says, I'll pay you $7,000 a month as long as you don't let him have it. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, he may have even said 10,000, whatever the number was, it was so much. It was yeah. like, holy cow. And at the time, I didn't have any real overhead and hadn't developed. I mean, it was like, that was a business in itself. And at the time, I had a business partner and we wound up rolling this out and charging a setup fee, which cost us no time. It was like, $300 to sign up and then $147 a month for access to this thing. We rolled it out to a small audience and it started producing about $30,000 a month in recurring revenue. And at one point it was generating millions of dollars a month at our peak. And then later on, we ended up selling the business. But the point of it was, it was a conversation, but yeah. the big lesson I learned was when you can create a conversation and establish someone else's perception of value in a way that isn't perceived to be manipulative. I had yeah. no intent behind it. Someone else will find a way to make it even more valuable. I and am. exclusivity has immense value. You oh, know? Yeah, and that's something so important, rarity and exclusivity. It taught me an incredibly valuable lesson. And I could use that then as a baseline to establish the value of my products. Where before yep. that, someone might say, yeah, it'd be worth a hundred bucks a month to me. Yeah. So that became very inspiring to me because then I knew this is a conversation I could have. In fact, looking back and knowing what I know now, I probably would have been a lot better off finding a hundred people who would be willing to invest $5,000 a month in it versus having thousands yeah. of customers who are a giant pain in the yeah, ass. Yeah, but we all have painful memories that have taught us a great deal. But it reminds me, there's an old black and white film on Thomas Edison, and it's the very classic movie actor, Spencer Tracy, who plays Thomas Edison. And Thomas Edison created the ticker tape. I don't know if you, the stock market ticker tape, he actually- I remember the ticker tape, but I didn't know it was him who yeah. made it. But now that I think about it, I remember seeing the pictures of the little 
tape coming out of it looked yeah. like an hourglass yeah and the original one was morse code and they had code detectors you know people who could read morse code and it was for the gold exchange in new york his ticker tape got the messages and then he switched over to actual language ticker tape so you could actually read it and it created about a two-second differential that's all you needed was two seconds, two seconds. It's like nano trading of today where they're wet laying down fiber across the ocean to get a couple microseconds. Yeah. So someone comes and he says, Edison, he says, I want to buy this from you. And Edison says, well, I don't know. He says, he says, um, I'll give you $10,000 for it. And you have to understand this is the 1860s. So, I mean, dollars, you know, significant dollars. And Edison says, geez. He says, all right, 15,000. And Edison says, man, I don't know. And then it gets to 20,000. Know, and Edison says, oh, yeah. And finally the guy, okay, last offer, 25,000, 25,000. And Edison says, all right, all right, I'll do 25,000. And the man says, Edison, you're a fool. I would have given you 50,000. And Edison says, no, you're the fool. I would have taken five. <laughs> yeah, <that's so> great. <laughs> yes, sir. No, but here's the thing. So pricing, you know, we got to have sometime. Part of branding is actually pricing, how you price things in the marketplace. And so People say, well, what's the proper price for this product? And I says, there is no such thing. There is no such thing. I said, pricing is entirely subjective. Pricing is entirely psychological. So they said, well, how do you do it? And I said, well, I have a basic formula. It is that the price really scares me plus 20%. And they said, well, you, what do you mean? I says, well, in the communication about the price with another person, I'm the only one that knows the price, and I'm the only one that's scared. They haven't heard the price yet, so they're not scared. So I'm the only one who's scared about the price. And when they don't blink, the extra 20% keeps me from kicking myself afterwards, you know, from that. And so, you know, it's a horrendous political issue today about what things are worth and what kind of money people should get. So Mike Trout, a very famous player in Los Angeles, got the biggest contract baseball, maybe the biggest uh, American sports contract ever, $450 million for 13 years. And I remember some other baseball fans at Strategic Coach, they said, you know, no baseball player is worth $450 million. I said, well, of course they are. Somebody just wrote the check. And, and I said, and they're billionaires who wrote the check, so I guess they kind of know what's a risk and what's not a risk. And I said, I mean, it's strictly what the check writer thinks is valuable. So they say, yeah, well, there's teachers, you know, who are responsible for the future of children's lives. They're making $50,000 a year. And I said, and that's what people will pay for them. That's what they're worth, 50000 And they said, well, it's wrong. They're, I said, nothing has an inherent value. Nothing has an inherent price. It's strictly in the mind of the check writer. If they want more money, they're talking to the wrong check writer. Yes. I have a story to go along with that, as long as we're going down this rabbit hole. So No, this one's going to get the rabbits to come up out of the hole. <laughs> okay, good, good. Because here I was thinking, oh, yeah, we're going to go down the creative thing. But it really does no, come down to- No, but pricing is huge to the packaging, the branding. 
All right. So I'm going to tell you a story. And this really, really taught me something incredible. So last year when I decided to sell the studio and all my products and exit what I would call the event marketing information product, sell and market online using ads and all that kind of stuff happened. And I had a challenge on my hand. One of them was in order to wind down the business that I had grown, I just wasn't interested any longer. I knew it would probably cost me about a million dollars, right out a check to wrap it up, wind it down, get rid of stuff. And then I had to sell stuff too. It was like, because storing it would cost me many, many thousands of dollars too. And I decided I'm going to liquidate everything, which that in itself was a completely terrifying experience because my identity was wrapped up Mm -hmm. in what I did and my stuff, right? And I thought people's perception of my value was wrapped up in that too. This is the ultimate branding test. And in the process, I had all sorts of identity crises going on with everything, just re-examining every part of life. So what happened was I decided to do something completely different. And that was as I moved forward, I wouldn't sell any of my past products, but I would only sell very high-end advisory services. That would be fifty to $150,000. And normally, anyone who would be selling something, I would sell it for one year. And I decided to sell it for six months at the same price. (laughs) So it effectively doubled my income, which to some people would be like, that's completely insane. How could you possibly ask for that? And I presented the value and the experience, depending on the level, would include meeting quarterly, spending a day together, and then we'd do sessions together, and then there'd be check-in. And there were other valuable things that occurred, but the whole idea is I'm going to help you do what I've been doing, which is completely reinvent yourself and build your personal brand and you know help you in a variety of ways. So what happened was, if you did the math, a 90-minute session with me was about $7,500. And I actually love doing them. It's a total blast. And I had around 25 people enrolled in this program over a period of six months, which you can do the math. It was an excellent period of time from a revenue. You know, at my peak, I could oftentimes have a staff of 25 people and 10 to 25, depending on what was going on. And this was incredibly profitable. Now, here's what happened. Out of the 25 people... And showing up for these sessions, how many times do you think anyone was ever late or didn't show up for their appointment? Mm -hmm. The answer is never. Yeah. Versus I had sold programs and events for five and ten thousand dollars. And there were times when someone wouldn't show up and would not respond to any correspondence whatsoever and never asked for their money back Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Which to me was mind-blowing, but the point is, and this is something Joe Polish has frequently said, I don't know where it was originated, which is if you don't pay, you don't pay attention. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I've learned is the seriousness that someone takes you and what you provide and the level of the investment size and their outcome and output as a result is significantly higher. And what I can tell you is I could start telling people, here's what you can expect because the folks who made this investment would very frequently generate millions of dollars inside of six or eight months. Mm -hmm. So their investment was minimal compared to the returns they got and how serious they took the process. And I think that 
really is the reflection, which is, is what do you do with that investment and how emotionally engaged are you? So, you know, money really is energy, mm-hmm. but it's also a spiritual exchange. Mm-hmm. And you elevate yourself when you have more skin in the game, that risk. And it really goes to show how much of a game life really is when you don't think about what the pain and the trauma that you associate with your money issues really are. Yeah. And the best thing you can ever do as a business owner is invest an enormous amount, significantly more than you've ever imagined in your own personal growth, oh, yeah. finding an amazing coach. I can tell you that last year I invested almost a half a million dollars in myself, mm-hmm. but the returns were incredible. And it was painful writing out those checks, but it was incredibly valuable in terms of what happened. So there you go. That's my little story for you about pricing. Yeah. Well, the thing is that the people who write the check, they're actually not writing the check to invest in the program. They're actually writing a check so they can get a full return on them on themselves. They're actually investing in themselves. They're actually investing in themselves. And when somebody says that's too costly, it means that they don't believe that them reinvented is actually worth the activity, that that reinventing themselves as someone different. First of all, it's not possible. And secondly, it wouldn't be worth the investment. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's hard for people who see themselves as a commodity to see themselves as a possible category of one in the future with the proper coaching, with the proper expertise and structure and process with them. And I guess, you know, that starts kind of like very early in life. You know, this is a wonderful thing, but pricing, you know, is probably the single most emotionally, psychologically, intellectually difficult barrier that not so successful entrepreneurs come up against and never transcend the barrier, that pricing. And then they look at the competition and they enter into a race to the bottom on pricing. Things are worth what the proper check writer will be willing to write a check. Well, here's what I say and I've learned is, number one, you get exactly who you deserve in terms of your clients, your customers, Mm -hmm. and your income. And you attract exactly who you are. If you have money issues, you're going to attract people just like that. You are presented with lessons. And someone will say, well, what about if I have a product or I have a service or whatever it is? The products are generally a reflection of the Mm -hmm. creator and the owner. Their energy and how they treat themselves and others, their employees, ends Mm -hmm. up being a reflection Mm -hmm. of the products and services too. It is the disease runs deep Mm -hmm. inside the DNA of any organization brand. And going back to this category of one is a way of establishing your own self-worth. And I have found now over the past few years, especially that creating great products begins with a form of pure self-esteem, high quality psychology and doing the deep work mm-hmm. of cleaning out mm-hmm. your dirt. Yep. Again, how you show up and how you're packaged, people feel that. And if your product feels needy and cheap, it's a reflection of that DNA mm-hmm. of the creator. This has been very fascinating, Dan. So I do want to ask you, 
one question about what is really inspiring you right now with your ideas when you create your products? Like, what is it that's keeping you moving at the speed of light? Because I think, as far as I know, in the time I've known you, I think you're creating more content now than you ever have before. Yeah, and I would say it's very, very interesting. What I'm going to tell you is a story that when I was 70, which was five years ago, we had a company meeting. So once a year, our team is spread out over eight time zones, and we had you know maybe 110 you know, of our team members came in. Then I was just turning 70, and I said to the team, I said, you know, a lot of you are really young, and I don't even know if you know anyone who's 70 years old. But I said, nobody has said this to my face, but I'm just wondering if some of you are thinking, you know, I wonder how long the old guy's going to stick around. And I said, I just want to tell you that 25 years from now, I'm going to be coaching a strategic coach workshop. I said, it may be here, it may be someplace else, and I don't know exactly what the fees are going to be, but I am going to be coaching, and I'm going to be a better coach 25 years from now at age 95 than I am right now. So in case you had any uncertainty or you were wondering or your future plans, you know, are somewhat hesitant because you don't know what my intentions are, I just gave you an answer that 25 years from now I'm going to be coaching and I'm going to be a better coach and the fees are going to be much higher than they are right now. So anyway, I said, but here's an issue. Babs and I have traveled together everywhere, about 40 to 50 flights a year. And so I'm going to pose you with a possible future negative, and that is one morning you come to work and the word comes through that Dan and Bab's plane crashed and they're gone. And how many of you that would be negative news? <laughs> and I said, and I said, how many of that that would be a real negative? You know, they were quick to get their hands. I but I said there's actually two kinds of negatives that that news. One negative is it's terrible news and you have the foggiest idea what to do. The other terrible news is it's terrible news, and I know exactly what to do. So which negative news would you like to have? So they said, oh, number two, we had number two. And they said, well, we don't want to talk about this. And I said, well, if you don't want to talk about it now, you'll talk about it later. So <laughs> over the next six months, we went a process with all the key leaders, roughly about 20, where they had to say what they were going to do with the first hundred days, if they ever got the news like that. And what would they concentrate on doing? I said, the first year doesn't really matter. It's really what you do during the first hundred days. And two things came out, Mike, and it's very, very interesting that they would do a thinking. We created a thinking process for them to actually describe what the first hundred days would be like and everything and what they would focus on. Two things came out with every single individual, and we'd talk for an hour, sometimes two hours, and they'd say, the best thing I have to do is get right to my unique ability and expand my teamwork with my unique ability team members. I can't pay attention to what other people are doing. I just got to focus on what I'm great at and my part of the business. Absolutely uniform for all 20 people. And the other thing said, from this day forward, we just want Dan to pump out as much stuff so that there's a lot on the shelf. And I went into overdrive from that moment. I got my marching orders and I just pump out ideas, ideas. I don't know what these ideas are going to be doing, but there's a ton of stuff on the shelf. 
Steve Jobs had actually put a lot of stuff on the shelf, but there was a period about last year where I felt that Tim Cook had run out of Steve. How interesting. <laughs> yeah, and that's my sole motivation is that if anything happens to us, they've got a lot of things. And we've got team members now who can take existing ideas, put them together, and actually create new ideas. They can create new thinking processes. So I've worked with them. That is fascinating. So there's a process called bardo. It's a Tibetan Buddhist practice. Have you heard of this before? No, I haven't. Okay. So one of the things that happens is, I hope I've got the right word here, but the concept is definitely Tibetan. But the basic idea is when you walk into many of the temples, they'll have pictures of bodies in various states of decay. And the whole idea is you are presented with death and get used to your body as being dead and decaying. So death no longer shocks you. You simply accept it. And then you mm -hmm. have the rest of your life without fear of yeah. death. Yeah. And they do this at a very, very young age. And I think that was a form of bardo in a way, yeah. which is, it's sort of like, we all know what the inevitable is for all of us. Yeah. And what a great incentive to stack on the power and also create from a place of pure joy, of unique ability. And I think that's as good of any of an answer, which is how do you get and stay inspired, which is, first of all, knowing what's coming and having clear guidelines, but also giving yourself that runway, as you do, you know, with the vision of living to be 156 and what the next 25 years yeah. is going to look like. And when, you know, anyone who hasn't listened to the episode where you and I talked about health and longevity mm -hmm. and what our processes are, it turns out, I think it's our oh, most yeah. popular episode. It went viral. It went yeah. viral, yeah. And people really, really wanted to hear that. So I think that's, again, a, a real indicator of incentivizing yourself and what's yeah. the little subroutine that you install that gets that machine running. Because I don't see your desire and need to create content is a fear reaction or response. It's just an acceleration and an amplification of who you are. But it gives my team a lot of confidence to know that there's an abundance of material. And actually, the entrepreneurs in the program who, they asked me the question, what would ever happen? And then he says, so how do you want them to perform? And I said, according to what they said they were going to do. And they says, well, yeah, but how would you? I said, I'm gone. What do I care? I said, uh, I said, not my problem. You know, you flying around with your angel wings yeah, out yeah. there. Yeah, I said, I mean, it's so foolish. You know, I mean, what do I care? You know, I'm out of here, you know, and I'm sure wherever, you know, if there's another realm and another dimension, I'm sure that's not on my mind in the new realm. You know, <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> Here's all that's going to happen someone's going to open up the door. And you'll find out that you're sitting inside a virtual reality video game. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's like, oh, oh, that was fun. Yeah. Can I play it again? <laughs> and then it'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah. You actually went into the video game that is so good, you couldn't tell that it wasn't real. You asked for the upgraded experience. <laughs> yeah. And the choice you made yeah. was that you'd enter into this thing without a knowledge of the fact that it wasn't real and that you allowed us to let it play until the very end. <laughs> well, my feeling is you do get to play it over again, but you have to look at the pen first 
and you have no memory that you played it before. So it's Groundhog Day. <laughs> that is. Groundhog life. <laughs> Just goes to show, if we get super quantum here, all things happening forever all at the same time with infinite possibilities. Every possibility is also happening. Yep. The beauty of yep. experiencing time, space, dimension, and sex as flesh beings. It's quite a ride. Well, Dan, we should let everyone know what they should do next, right? Well, first of all, we wander because it's our natural style. But in fact, we are talking about branding here. You know, I mean, that who I am, what I strive all my life is that I'm really the version that they feel that they've connected with when they actually meet me. I'm actually that version. And I try to eliminate any distortion whatsoever for my life that would be different from what people really connect with. And I think that's branding. You know, I want the backstage version of Dan to be the same as the front stage version of Dan. Anyone can smell incongruity. That is absolutely for sure. Yeah, and I think congruity has endless dimensions of being congruent, you know. And I feel that way totally about you, Mike. And I think we partnered up because we had complete and total relaxation and ease of mind that you would be 100% who I've experienced you and I would be 100%. And I think that's branding and I think that's packaging at the most essential level. Well, hell, you know what we should do then? We should tell everyone they've got to make sure they head on over to Capability Amplifier and sign up to work with us right now, right? Well, otherwise, they're not being a true version of themselves. That's so true. It's so true. <laughs> so... As usual, Dan, this is absolutely fantastic. But is there anything else that you want to say as we let Well, I just want go? to tell you, one of my next 90-day oh, goals yeah. is to catch up with all those other people that you've been having affairs with when you're not with me on the Capability Amplifier. There are so many good ones, and you won't believe some of the next and upcomers. Okay. I'm really excited because one of the things that I've decided to do I told you I was doing a lot of research right now on entertainment, mm -hmm. especially comedy. Mm -hmm. So I've been making a point of reaching out and connecting with the entertainment world, Hollywood, comedy, because elevating brands. And you have somebody right in the 10 Times Workshop who's, you know, action central. He is. And he connected me with a celebrity that I've connected with as well. So just stay tuned. Get ready for an absolutely exciting ride. And as usual, Dan, another pleasurable experience. Thank you very much, Mike. You got it. Will you head over to iTunes right now to rate the Capability Amplifier show? Every rating and review helps spread the message and create more empowered entrepreneurs like you. And if you've already done that, please share this episode with a friend who you know can benefit from Capability Amplifier. And if you have any questions or suggestions, head over to capabilityamplifier.com. There you can leave us an audio message and Dan and I listen to every single one of them. Thanks again for listening. And we'll see you soon.